Hello there. You're listening to the Babies in Common podcast, where parents, parents to be, and professionals can join together and talk about all things pregnancy, birth, feeding, babies, and parenting. And you don't even have to put on pants. So join me, Jeanette, an IBCLC lactation consultant, childbirth educator, mostly retired birth doula, and mother of two, and my colleague, Melissa, a labor, delivery, postpartum nurse breastfeeding counselor and mother of three, as we have a conversation with our special guests. We hope you enjoy today's episode and let us know your thoughts and learn more about what classes, groups, and services we provide by going to our website, babiesincommon.com. All right, let's get going. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Babies in Common show. I'm Jeanette. I'm Melissa, and today is Wednesday, July 1st, 2020, and we will be discussing childproofing, why it's important, more important than you think, and even why it's not okay to think that it's just not going to happen to you. Yes, and our special guest is Kimberly Amato. Kim's a physical therapist, CPR instructor, retired childbirth educator, and retired birth doula, founder of Megan's Hope, which is an organization that raises awareness about furniture tip-over and advocates for stronger furniture safety laws. She's also the author of Out of the Darkness, Coping with and, Coping with and Recovering from the Death of a Child, and child, and she's also a child-proofing and child safety advocate. She lives in central Massachusetts with her husband, with whom she does ballroom dance competitions when it's not a pandemic, and she has two <laughs> almost grown boys. And you can learn more about Furniture Tip Over on Kim's website, megan'shope.org, as well as by listening to the rest of this rest of this interview. So thanks for joining us, Kim. I haven't seen you in a long time, but it's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, my first question I have to ask Kim is what ballroom, what type of ballroom dancing? What, <laughs> what, what dance is your, is your specialty? Do you like the, the samba, the merengue? What do you like? It changes from time to time. My current favorite is the foxtrot. Oh, okay. Excellent. <laughs> but we Maybe, do all, all nine American dances. So. That's wonderful. Maybe we'll see you on Dancing with the Stars one day. Probably not, but if you <laughs> Derek, call me, I'm on. <laughs> all right. So today's topic is going to be a more serious topic, um, but nonetheless, still something that's very important to talk about. I'd like to start off by talking about some child safety statistics. So first off, injury is the leading cause of death in children and young adults. According to the Centers for Disease Control, approximately 12,000 children and young adults ages 1 to 19 years die from unintentional injuries each year. In fact, each year, about 2,000 children ages 14 and under die as a result of a home injury. Unintentional home injury deaths to children are caused primarily by fire and burns, suffocation, drowning, firearms, falls, choking, and poisoning. Falls are the leading cause of non-fatal injury to children. Children ages 19 and under account for about 8,000 fall-related visits to the hospital emergency rooms every day. And since we're filming this in the summer, this is a very um, important point to make that drowning is the leading cause of unintentional injury-related death among children ages one to four. The majority of drownings and near drownings occur in residential swimming pools and in open water sites. However, children can drown in as little as one inch of water. So thank you, Kim, for helping us unpack this really important topic. My pleasure. Yeah. So, so Kim, we go way back and we were both doulas and childbirth educators and we had little children at the time. 
And you're now a physical therapist and working with high-risk populations in assisted livings. So very, very different life than you had back then, but you're still a very large, like a big advocate for children's safety. And you'll talk more about what exactly you're doing. But what I wanted to chat about first, it's hard to pick a thing that we talk about first, but in a way, I think most parents think about choking as maybe the first childproofing thing that they do besides look like thinking about their crib for their baby or where their baby's sleeping. Um, they think about introducing foods and what's my baby going to possibly mm -hmm. choke on. And I know you used to teach CPR and child safety classes. So what, um, can you explain the difference between gagging and choking? Because I have a lot of parents that talk about how they're nervous about um, the baby led weaning or baby led food introduction that we talk about a lot. And what's the difference between those two? Excellent question. So I think the simplest way to explain it is that gagging is anything that triggers your gag reflex. So, you know, it's that food goes down the wrong way kind of thing or liquid goes down the wrong way kind of thing. It usually stimulates a cough and coughing is good. So, you know, I actually gagged earlier today. <laughs> right? Isn't that funny? You you own your mouth your whole life and you exactly. bite, you can gag and you like bite your cheek and you're like, I've had that my whole life. Why exactly. is that? Exactly. Exactly. But you know, you drink and you laugh at the same time or something, right? So um, so I would say, you know, gagging is just something stimulates your gag reflex. For some people, it's just seeing something gross and it makes you, mm. you know, kind of thing. It can be brushing your teeth and getting the toothbrush too far back for, you know, folks who do that. So I think even in babies, um, gagging is just, it's a fact of life. It's going to happen. Um, not something necessarily to be concerned about. Choking is an airway obstruction. So when I teach childbirth, uh, not childbirth, when I teach CPR classes, um, we talk about choke saving and we talk about recognizing signs of choking. And the first thing I always say is if you think your baby or child or even an adult you know is choking, um, stop and pay attention, right? So if they've got food in front of them, take it away. If you know they're lying down, gently help them sit up. Um, and if they're coughing, don't touch them. Mm. Let them cough. Um, because sometimes we pick them up and we instinctively want to pat them on the back and that if they are choking that can actually make the object get stuck. So as long as they're actively coughing and passing air, let them be. If you're worried, call 911. Because no EMT has showed up and said, I can't believe you called. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I remember even like 10 years ago, I feel like most families knew that taking a CPR class was a good idea before they had a baby or soon after mm -hmm. they had a baby. And since then, it's like it's hardly ever taught parents who do think about it, are like, where do I even get that class? And I've sometimes searched for them. There's very, very few available. Yeah. And I remember learning that in my first CPR class years ago, that if someone's coughing, mm -hmm. then you don't hit them on their back, which is what we grow up Oh yeah, it's like the Italian grandmother. You get a big yeah. whack, right? You know, and it's like, like sit on your hands. You're coughing. It's good, but I definitely know, like a lot of moms in particular. I'll speak to moms in particular. Um, they tell me that they're trying to do baby led weaning, and so they're giving their baby these large chunks of food to start to nibble on, just as they're trying to get used to food around six months or older. And their partner is like, "Oh no, we're not doing that." 
oh, that's too scary. I want to do purees, purees, purees. And you can still gag on a puree too, you know, so it's not going to prevent the gagging, you know, clearly you want to be with the children. But when babies are young, you want them to pace themselves because, right, they're like, ooh, yay, fistful of whatever's in front of them and it all goes in. Whether it's that happens when they're seven year old boys, too. I just want to point that out. Yeah. I don't know. You could look at some 45 year old men, but um, it, it's also providing food cut up so it's small enough that it's not going to obstruct their airway if they do end up having it go down the wrong pipe. Um, the, a lot of times it's the consistency, too. So things like nut butters or, you know, things that are thick or that they kind of chew and store in their cheek and then they swallow that large Mm. mass of mushy, whatever it was, Um, even bananas, right? Um, So if if whatever's in their mouth is big enough to obstruct their airway, it has the potential for them to choke on. Um, so we can control that a little bit by controlling what we're giving them to eat and how big those pieces are and how much they're getting at once. Um, the other big thing for parents of, you know, toddlers or children who are mobile is try to start very young. Don't let them move with food. Because mm-hmm. walking around the house while they're chewing on something, they're much more likely to <gasps> or fall or, you know, or have it happen when you're when you don't even know that it's happening. Right. And um, then you're like, oh, they've been playing so nicely over there in the yeah, corner. So and... quiet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, and it, and it happens um, for sure. So those are the best ways to prevent choking. If you feel your child is choking and the way you can tell is they're not making sound, there's no air movement, they're not coughing. They may be, you know, kind of trying to, but there's no sound coming out or they're, Ooh, you hear that high pitched, like air is getting through, but not much. Mm. Um, or sometimes they'll just sit and stare, especially if they're older, they don't know what to do. Mm. So they just sit quietly and you wouldn't know anything was mm. wrong. Yeah. That's um, scary. Yeah. And then obviously you call 911 at that point. Yeah. So. And obviously take a CPR class <laughs> your kids because there are you know the 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 back um, wax and the yeah. chest thrusts yeah, you know you can learn if is, someone is absolutely if they are choking um, it's important and it's important for grandparents too just as you, oh, you know, mentioned that uh, there's an outdated way to, to to you should not deal with somebody who is choking you put your arms up oh yeah I remember that <laughs> <laughs> put your arms up put your arms up <laughs> What does that do? And they go, I don't know. My grandmother told me to do it. My grandmother told me to do it. Absolutely. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh, that's true. Now, um, Kimberly, are there any foods in particular that even if they are, you know, prepared in small pieces by the parent, that they're they're just too dangerous and can be a big choking hazard. I mean, nuts is one that I know of. Are there any others that maybe people don't realize? I, peanut butter, I think, is interesting because especially with people who have more than one child, you know, the baby kind of eats everything the bigger kids is eating yeah. sometimes, even if you don't intend it. But the fact that it's very sticky, that, that makes sense. You can get something stuck in the back of your throat and, um, you know, not be able to swallow it. So anything else like that? 
Right. And it's not that they can't have it. It's just, you know, teeny tiny little bits at a time and make Under sure supervision. Before <laughs> you give them the next piece. Um, anything round, really. I mean, when you think about, you know, a young child's airway is probably about the diameter of their finger. So if oh, you wow. it that way, um, you know, two fingers at most, but most little ones, right? Um, so people say, oh, I'll cut those hot dogs in, in half. No, you, they really need to be quarters. Grapes need to be in quarters. And if they're big grapes, even smaller, right? Um, so it's, it's just whatever it is, it needs to be smaller than the diameter of a finger. Well, that being said, though, with the baby led weaning, a lot of times we're talking about doing foods that are stick shaped that are the length of a finger mm -hmm. so a baby can grab them, but yep. they're not meant to be so easily chewed off that right. they would stay in that shape, right? Yep. So it's sort of like the consistency of that stick shape exactly. in baby led weaning, so to speak, a quote unquote baby led weaning, like is it is a very different thing than what you're talking about. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you just have to be mindful. It's really, it's not so much what they're eating. It's, are they able to manage it in their mouth effectively? And some may be able to do it with some foods and not others. Some may never have a problem. Um, if you notice they're coughing every time they eat a certain food, that might be a sign that that's a difficult food for them to manage for whatever reason. Um, or sometimes it could be even be it, you know, maybe an early sign of an allergy that they're spitting it out and I don't like it. Or that you're introducing food too early. That could be too. And some babies still have like a really major thrust. That's and so true. they're protecting their airway by thrusting mm -hmm. their tongue. And so if, you're, if every food you give them, they're thrusting it out, they're probably not ready. Even if they're six months old, they may still not be ready for food yet. So let them play with it and move it around on their tray maybe, but you don't need to make sure they're eating yet. That's really, they're learning skills. So waiting. Yeah. Awesome. So let's shift gears and talk about childproofing in general. Um, it isn't a sexy topic, of course, but it is one that many parents think about. Um, and, you know, they might register for a couple uh, outlet covers, you know, and think it's, they call it a day. <laughs> um, but research indicates that many parents, grandparents, and others that have children visiting their homes don't go far enough with actively childproofing their homes. What pieces do you recommend parents take seriously and when should they start? That's a great question. Um, when I was teaching home safety and childproofing classes, I always said to parents, I said the best way to understand the hazards that are in your home are to get down on the floor and roll around, crawl around, see everything from the perspective your little one does. And the best time to childproof is before they are mobile. <laughs> <laughs> because you think, oh, I have time, I have time. Well, when they're mobile, you really are chasing them around and you don't have as much time. Um, so the first thing would be, yeah, get down on their level, see what's there. Um, outlet plugs, doorknob baffles, um, you know, locking the oh, that's what they're called? A baffle? A baffle. I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and now they have all kinds, you know, to go over all kinds of handles. It used to just be the round doorknob covers. My mother still can't overcome <laughs> the doorknob thing. So they're also adult proofing for some. <laughs> um, 
But, um, you know, everybody kind of knows about those things, you know, toilet locks and, you know, cabinet locks and putting all the any dangerous chemicals out of reach, locked away, out of sight, out of mind, but also locked. The magnet locks are great if you put the magnet out of reach. Right. <laughs> so, um, but beyond that, I think people kind of think, okay, I, I did what I'm supposed to do. Um, but there are a lot of other things that parents either don't realize are a hazard or don't think are a serious enough hazard that they need to do anything about it. And I've met a lot of parents who have lost children to things they didn't know were a hazard. They thought they were doing the right thing, but they didn't have all the information they needed. So one of the things I tell people to consider is window coverings. Um, there is a law that has been passed that in the United States, um, starting next year, I believe, um, you can no longer purchase corded window blinds. Oh, that's great. Oh, blind strangulation. But that doesn't account for all the blinds that are already in everybody's home. Sure. And what people think they're supposed to do is, right, wind up the cord and put it out of reach. However, most blinds have cords in between the slats. Right. And kids can strangle on those. Hmm. And they have. So I would say if you have corded blinds in your home, consider replacing them. <laughs> Um, with a either cordless version or a shade or something that doesn't have any cords at all. Um, I actually, there's a great website. It's called Parents for Window Blind Safety. Hmm. Um, they also have a Facebook page. Um, and I, Linda Kaiser founded it. She lost her daughter to a cord blind strangulation. And she's been working for 20 years to get this law passed. Wow. Um, wow. So... And that's, I mean, we've all done that, right? I did the little cord winders and thought I was doing the right thing, getting them out of the way. And, you know, we just didn't know. So that's one that I think gets overlooked. Um, baby gates, I think people use, but it bears mentioning, never use a pressure gate at the top of stairs. Right, meaning if you're going to put a gate at the top of the stairs, it needs to be hard bolted to... Correct. The woodwork not one that a kid could push over that is something that is super important yeah and a lot of people um, now you can get the baby gates that have the pet door most toddlers can fit through the pet door oh geez so um, <laughs> that as well and that's true for pet doors going outside going to basements things like that um if they one can't thing, be locked that's something that a lot of people don't realize or they'll get their head stuck in there if they can't fit all the way through so that's something. Um, another thing that is you mentioned in the um, beginning is drowning. Um, so people think, oh, I need the toilet locks. I'm not going to leave them unattended in the tub. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not going to leave my bucket of water when I wash the floor with out. But um, now, especially with the pandemic and people spending more time at home, um, drownings are increasing because people are doing staycations. They're going to the local lake or they're going to the beach or they're getting a pool or they're using a pool. And you know, I have a friend who lost his son um, on the 4th of July to a drowning in their pool. Um, he, they were in the pool, he came in, dad had to use the bathroom. 
Um, his son was sitting at the kitchen table, wandered back outside, fell in the pool, literally in the time it took dad to use the bathroom, his son drowned. Um, it happens so fast, like in less than a minute. Um, and it's often silent. Um, so there's the issue of kids wandering off and falling into the water and not being able to get out. And then there's the bigger issue of vast majority of drownings happen within 10 feet of a parent. Yes. Wow. A lot of people think that drowning looks like kids are going to wave their arms and scream like on Jaws, but you know, drowning is often silent. If, and if you think about if you've ever been to the ocean, I used to go to Rhode Island beaches when I was a kid and the waves are insane. And um, there was a, a number of times that I was so dangerously close to not being able to get back mm -hmm. onto the beach. And when that wave that hits you and you're trying to get up, but you can't get your head above and you start to panic, you're not screaming and flash, flashing around. You are desperately trying to use all of your energy to just get your head above water. And so um, it's, it's something that can happen, like you said, right with the parent, right there, right next to you, thinking they're diving down to get rings or they're dunking their head. In reality, they're struggling to get back up. It's true. And the other thing is like hot tubs and um, pools that have, you know, the, the suction um, mm. valve in the pool, especially girls with long hair, mm. their hair can get stuck in it and it holds them under. Mm. Um, it's not common, but it does happen. So always making sure that your hair is in a cap or not long um, for the girls or boys, <laughs> if they have long hair for sure. Um, so how can you prevent that? Um, door alarms, if you have a pool. So multi-layers put a sound alarm on your exit doors, all of them, even if it goes out the front and the pool's in the back. You can get a pool alarm that goes in the water that will sound whenever anything goes in. Mm. So if an animal falls in, if a child wow. falls in, um, it will sound. Um, you can also you know, get, if you have a in-ground pool, make sure you have appropriate fence around it, make sure the fence has a child lock and don't leave anything near the fence that kids can climb on. Um, for above ground pools, a lot of times they have stairs that you can flip up. I've seen so many kids scale those. Oh, I saw a video online yeah. last year that just absolutely, that's one thing I'd like all parents to be that are listening um, to know is that your kids will be capable of things you never even thought possible yeah. at ages you never thought they were old enough to do and things that you didn't even realize could be done, right? Like I, <laughs> I one time walked in on my son, um, he, had he had moved a chair over to the counter climbed up onto the chair, climbed up onto the island, and then hung from the pot and pan rack. <laughs> now, I, I didn't know he could do any of those things. I didn't know he could move the chair. I didn't know he was smart enough to do that. I didn't realize he could get up on it and then get up on, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then even the thought of, hey, I'm going to hang from this. Right. I was like, ah! <laughs> so all those pots and pans had to come down for a while. Yeah. So they're going to do things that you didn't even think that they could do or that they're just smarter than you ever could think. Yeah. The other thing too, Kim, you said something that I love and I actually had written it down beforehand, but you said it was um, to get on your hands and knees and crawl around and look for things and go slowly. And that is such a great idea. But another way to also, in addition, I'll say, mm -hmm. is to invite another kid over who's yeah. older than your kid. 
Yep. And they will find stuff. That, oh, absolutely. You know? And sometimes it's even a kid that's the same age. Like yeah. they are going to do stuff that your kid never did. And so childproofing for their friends who might come visit is also important. I had, um, Kim, you remember my old house had a lot of cabinets that were nice and low, not just in the kitchen, but in other places. And there was this little boy that came over for a play date. And not only did he climb up on the couch and stand on the couch, which my daughter had never done, but he started opening up cabinets and drawers that were at his level that my daughter had never, ever tried to do. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I was like, no, of course, you know, he shows her what to do. And now she's like, oh, I want to do that now. Oh, yeah. That's always, <laughs> that always, I hate when that happens at play dates. Like my kid didn't even think to know. Right? Right? Now, now there's a whole new world. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to do it for sure. And it's true. You know, kids learn from other kids and they learn quick. Yes. And sometimes they learn just by what they see. You know, maybe they're, you think they're not paying attention to the television program you're watching, but they mm. see something there and they're like, oh, I can do that. You're watching the Avengers and they're like, yeah. oh, I can do something <laughs> over my head. I can, exactly. I can jump off the couch and fly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we used to call it couch jumping. And I actually removed all the furniture from one of my rooms when my twins were young because that was the safest thing to do because no, please don't jump off the back of the couch wasn't working. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you have to go to extremes um, to keep them safe. That was the, that room was completely childproof, but it had nothing in it, but their <laughs> toys. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, you know, it was gated off and everything, but it, it had a couch once upon a time and eventually the couch got back in there. But for that period of time, although it was an inconvenience and it wasn't aesthetically pleasing and mm. we had a couch in our kitchen, um, <laughs> It was what needed to happen to keep the kids safe and help me keep my sanity as a mom of three kids under three and a half, mm. <laughs> you know, um, it was just, you know, what you had to do. So I think some parents try to make their kids fit their mold. And sometimes when you have little ones, you have to expand that vision and say, okay, I need to let them show me. Mm. how I need to change right now to keep them safe and protect my stuff I care about. <laughs> and it's not going to be forever. You know, it's probably a couple months, maybe a year or two, you know, but um, it's definitely worth it. My couch is back in my living room. They don't jump off of it anymore. <laughs> it's fabulous. Um, but yeah, definitely. And I think that Jeanette, that's a really good point about your child proofing, not just for where your child is now, but where they're going. So yes, you can start low, but as soon as they start to crawl, they have a whole new level and then they can pull themselves up. And then next thing you know, they're cruising. And then before you know it, they're climbing and that can all happen really quick. Um, so really once they can roll, they're on the move. They can and get people, places. people yeah. often wait. They're like, Oh, I'll wait till they do it. I'm like, no, you have time now because yeah. your child is not moving or your child is still inside you. Like yeah. that's the best time to get all this done. Yeah. And I remember many, many years ago when I first knew you, there were like two companies that you could call and they would come over and do childproofing. Mm -hmm. And then there was one and then there were none because the liability was too big, right? Mm -hmm. So it's such a pain because you have to do it yourself now. Yeah, there is still um, a professional childproofer in Massachusetts. Ooh. I can send you the information. Ooh, um, nice. I think that's, they changed the, busy. the business. So I, I don't want to quote the wrong thing, but yeah. I, I have it and I've met him and he's wonderful. 
okay. take over from um, someone else. Okay. It was Safe Beginnings. Um, yeah, that's right. I remember. I'm not that. sure if they kept the name. You might okay. have. Oh, we can put it on the resource page, babiesofcommon.com yeah. resource yeah, page. Yeah, That'd yeah. be great because some, yeah. sometimes it's it doesn't get done because it seems like an overwhelming task that you just don't have time to do until it's too late, right? But just as as we were talking about throughout this uh, show, it's something that's so so important, and you're not going to realize it was important until something bad happens. We don't want that something bad to happen, right? And that's what I was going to say is a lot of times you know parents, so I'll wait till they're doing that. Well, sometimes. Sometimes the first time is the time that they get injured or God forbid, you know, get killed um, the first time they do something. So you want to try to obviously prevent those things from happening. So, um, you know, you're thinking six months, a year, five years down the road. And then once, you know, oh, you know, I don't have to worry about the cabinets anymore. Don't take the latches off. Mm. Right. My kids are now 18 and 21. I'm leaving them there because someday I'm probably going to be a grandmother. <laughs> I'm not ready yet. They've been well informed. But, <laughs> but right? Yeah. As a parent, I want my house to be just as safe as it was. It's probably safer because I know a lot more now mm. than it was when my kids were little. Well, you also don't know, like when you have a party, somebody might bring their kids over and now you're right. all enjoying yourselves over at the the grill and then their little kid happens to be in the kitchen and those parents might not be paying attention as much as you might have. Right. And so our standards of watching over our children are also different. And as, as people start to get to know other families with killed with, with, with children, they start to notice that. Yeah. Yeah. So you used to teach CPR and safety classes. So you've always been fascinated and, and interested in safety and, um, you as a licensed physical therapist and a CPR instructor and a first aid instructor, like clearly before you had your first children, um, right? No, no, no. Your second set, right? Yeah. So you had had one child already and then you had two, you had twins. You had already known so much about this that you had child proofed your entire home mm -hmm. and still something happened. So can yeah. you share your story? I know you've yeah. shared it many times before. Yeah. Yes, and I'm sure some of your viewers and listeners probably know the story as well. Yes, but um, so my um, my older son Kyle um, was my first, and he was the one that sort of inspired me to become a childbirth educator and a birth doula. And um, you know, obviously, the aspects of teaching about newborn care and home safety were passions of mine to begin with. I was that mom that went over and above. Like, you know, everybody's like, really, you're going to do that? You don't need to do that. You know, I mean, if there was a childproofing gadget, I bought it, I used it, you know, it, my house was, I thought like Fort Knox. Um, and then I had twins and, you know, even more because new products came out, used all those. Um, but when Megan was three, she uh, managed to tip her dresser over on herself um, it was in December, actually a week before Christmas in 2004, and it happened while we were all sleeping. Um, we don't know what happened, obviously, because she can't tell us, but um, we assume she was getting her clothes out because they were all over the floor um, and, um, you know, trying to get herself dressed, and we were still sleeping. It was very early in the morning, and it fell on her on a carpeted floor, so none of us heard it fall and she suffocated. She wasn't able to cry, um, you know, underneath the weight of her dresser. She couldn't get out. 
Um, and when my husband went to get her up in the morning, he found her. Um, it was obviously traumatic, but at the same time, I couldn't understand why as a mother, as a childbirth educator, as someone who read books and all the baby magazines and parenting magazines, why this wasn't something I knew about. Um, you know, I said, yeah, I get it. If it's really tall, heavy, obviously unstable furniture, maybe it would fall. And we actually had one really tall bookcase inadequately secured to the wall because it looked like it was unsteady. But her dresser was small. It weighed at least 150 pounds. She weighed 28 pounds. And it didn't look like it, it took two adults to move it. Like it never crossed my mind that it could tip over. But yet physics, right, is what did it. So yeah, because the back of the dresser was made of really thin particle board, right? So it's only three sides. So it's it it is it's yeah. it's not top heavy. It's side heavy. It's front heavy. Front heavy, right? Yeah, yeah. Front side. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was it was also it was a very well made dresser. It was made by Vergazzi. It was part of a juvenile furniture set. Mm -hmm. uh, it was maple. So the top was maple. The case was maple. The drawer fronts were maple. But the back was press board. And that's how most dressers are made, um, for sure. So, you know, she basically opened the drawers in just the right configuration and she stood in or on or pulled in just the right way that it caused it to tip and she wasn't able to get out of the way. Um, so that night, <laughs> Megan's Hope was born. Um, my advocacy now has been going on for 15 years. So it started um, with emails, which Jeanette got, <laughs> and a website that was pretty rudimentary back in 2004. I had barely learned to use email. Things have come a long way. <laughs> but, um, and that's been a tremendous help to, you know, all of this, um, to getting information out to parents. Um, it's a lot easier to do now than it was, you know, all those years ago. But it started really as a grassroots advocacy campaign. Um, I wrote to the Consumer Product Safety Commission and asked them why I didn't know about this. Because of course I started to do research and found out that this was an issue that they knew about. They had a safety alert. They said that you know five to 8,000 children every year in 2004 had been injured. Um, there was actually- Furniture tip overs. Furniture tip overs. That um, there was a committee that had been formed that was looking at developing a safety standard in 2000. Um, so I got a little agitated. I wrote letters um, to the CPSC, to Congress, to furniture um, store owners, to Lowe's, to Home Depot, you know, saying, help me here. And I really thought that Megan's death was a fluke. I thought we were the only ones that happened to that surely if I told people about it, they would be like, oh my God, that's, that's ridiculous. We want to fix this, you know, you know, and manufacturers were going to, yes, we don't want this to happen. We'll make safer furniture and yes, we'll sell anchors so you can anchor it to the wall and it won't happen to your child, but that's not what happened. Um, I didn't get replies from any of the people in Congress I wrote to, except for Congressman McGovern, um, who I met with. Um, didn't but isn't, he, isn't he your congressman? He is, yeah. 
Right. So yeah. that's at least you're recongressant. I know. But still, that's crazy <laughs> sad. But fast forward a little bit, I'll tell mm. you more about the progress mm. we've made. But, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it was really difficult to get people to care. Um, and that was really frustrating to me because I'm like, if I'm that mom and my child still died from a preventable accident in the home because I didn't understand that it was a problem and I didn't know that I could have done something to, to fix it. And I've long said $5 and 15 minutes to buy an anchor strap and secure it to the wall would have saved her life and would have saved you know, 459 other children who've died since from furniture tipples. Mm. So um, I channeled that anger and frustration into advocacy and, you know, word of mouth, safety fairs, media interviews that started out being local and then national and now international. And now every time a tip over happens, my inbox lights up with requests for interviews because people know that I'm comfortable speaking about it. That um, must be both awesome for your organization and but also really upsetting that it mm -hmm. just keeps happening, right? Like yeah. in a way I think you'd probably love to be out of business and not that it's I a business, but you'd love to be able to close down your nonprofit and everybody would just know I to would. secure their furniture. So, you know, wow, I that say that Every time I speak to Congress or to the Consumer Product Safety Commission or any of the committees that I sit on or when I present to physicians or any organization, I say, you know, if you had told me 15 years ago, I'd still be standing here begging you to help me educate people to make safer furniture and to teach people why and how they need to anchor their furniture to protect their kids. I would have told you you were nuts. There's no way it would take that long. And I, we have made very little progress. Wow. Because you think that our government is all benevolent and that if people hear that yeah. these things are bad for you, like chemicals that mm -hmm. are in makeup or furniture tip overs, mm -hmm. that you could simply just have a law that would require everybody to know that they, not only the furniture manufacturers would sell the furniture with the things attached to it, like in the box, so you would have it all ready to go, but also that you would be able to make sure that all parents knew that they needed to do this, right? Yeah. And it's not that simple. It's not. It's oh, I've learned so much about that. Um, so yeah, we talked about in our sleep episode about how even products that are made specifically for babies, like placing babies in, um, do not have any laws in this country that require them to be tested for safety before being put on the market. And only once a number of babies die, do they even get recalled. And the number of babies that have to die is really, really high. Yeah. Um, that seems morally and ethically incredibly wrong. <laughs> and I'm working very hard to change that with a couple of really wonderful advocates that I've connected with along the way. Um, way back in 2005, with the help of Congressman McGovern, we introduced the first ever um, furniture tip over safety legislation. It was for the whole country, the first ever. Yeah, it was the Katie Elise and Megan Agnes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say it again, the Katie Elise and Megan Agnes Act, if yeah. anybody wants to look it up. So it was named for Megan and um, Katie was another little girl who died from a um, wardrobe tip over um, about a month after Megan did. And her mother and I connected 
um, and they worked with their congressman in Pennsylvania, and um, he worked with Congressman McGovern. So that um, was introduced in 2005, and then again in the next session of Congress in 2008. It never got out of committee, but it did get the attention of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the Consumer Union, and um, the ASTM, which um, stands for the American Society for te um, Testing and Materials. And they are primarily responsible as a large international group um, for creating voluntary safety standards for all manner of products, um, not just juvenile products, but everything from, you know, the microphone that you're using today to you know the parts that are in your car to the thermometers everybody's using to take their temperature every day <laughs> you name it there's a probably a voluntary standard for it and they constantly create new standards and they update standards based on data and um, reports of injuries and deaths and you know new technology all of that um so the bill didn't get out of committee, but um, it did get some momentum to tip over awareness and moving forward with that standard. Um, in recent years, I've collaborated with other parents who've lost children to tip overs. We formed a coalition um, in 2018 called Parents Against Tip Overs. And we found that we were basically all doing the same thing in our geographic area but we weren't getting the national reach that we needed, you know, and people around here, quite frankly, I'm old news. This mm. happened 15 years ago. The media doesn't want to hear my story anymore. They want a fresh face. They're like, oh, well, that doesn't happen anymore. Or now it's just Ikea, right? So there's right. this huge misconception that furniture is only unsafe if it's cheap, if it's Ikea, or you had to put it together yourself. Now, speaking of Ikea, you were on, you were part of a show that was on Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. Called Broken. And there was one episode on furniture tip overs and there was a bunch of interview material in that um, show from Ikea and them defending themselves or attempting to, yes. you know, and it was just maddening to watch. Yeah. It really is. Um, that Netflix documentary Broken, um, when Parents Against Tip Overs, we call ourselves Pat <laughs> for short, um, we were in DC in the fall of um, 2018. We met with all five Consumer Product Safety Commission commissioners and the CPSC is in charge of overseeing consumer safety for the entire country. That's their job. They're responsible for issuing recall notices. They're responsible for um, alerting the public when there's a potential hazard, product hazard. And they also receive reports from people when you experience a hazard. But aren't they the same people also that won't put out a recall until multiple children have passed away? I will get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and you can blame the Reagan administration and Congress. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Remind me if I don't circle back to that. But um, the Netflix documentary, they followed us. So they were able to um, record basically what we were doing to advocate for furniture safety. And then they really focused more on Ikea than we wanted them to. We didn't realize that was the goal was that it was going to be about Ikea. Um, three of the moms that are in parents against tip overs lost their children to an Ikea tip over. So that was part of kind of what inspired them to involve us in the documentary. Um, 
And we also, during that trip, um, met each other for the first time, which was amazing and emotional and powerful. Um, we were able to um, go to the ASTM Furniture Safety Subcommittee meeting, um, and we've all joined as voting members. So this um, committee is tasked with developing the voluntary furniture safety standard um, for all manufacturers of furniture. But because it's voluntary, they don't have to follow it. Um, and right now the standard is written that if a manufacturer produces a clothing storage unit, <laughs> that's how they define it. Anything that could be construed as something you would store clothes in, so dressers, wardrobes, chests of drawers, those sorts of things, that are 27 inches in height or above, um, they need to pass a 50-pound weight test. So the way they do that is they put the dresser on a concrete slab. They say, oh, look, it didn't tip over. Test one passed. And then they open the top drawer, and they very carefully put a 50-pound weight over the front of the drawer and they very carefully back away and they say, oh good, it didn't tip over. And then they close that drawer and open the next one and they do that and then they close that drawer and open the next one. And if it didn't tip over, it's deemed safe. On a very hmm. flat concrete. Cause floor. that's how kids climb up on furniture. <laughs> but also, but also <laughs> not engineers who like can't figure that out. <laughs> Yeah. But also carpeting, like a lot of times near yeah. the wall, it has that little hump, yeah. right? Before the baseboard. Yeah. So then you're, you're, ugh, that doesn't, oh, it's hard. Uh, so this committee didn't do anything for 17 years. We showed up. <laughs> we actually got the height dropped from 30 inches to 27 last year. Mm. Um, we're working on increasing the test weight to 60 pounds. And um, they were being really difficult. It's a very contentious committee. It's, it's probably 10 consumer advocates and 75 furniture manufacturers and oh, they're wow. that actually go to the meetings and then there's a bunch of people that can call in on the phone. Sorry, you said 75 furniture manufacturers and their attorneys? A lot of times their attorneys are with them or on the phone. Oh, wow, wow. Um, so what's the, what's the, I mean, is it, my grandfather always said, if you don't have an answer to a question, the answer is probably money. May he rest in peace. But I, I feel like that's probably what's going on here, right? Like even adding what, like a two cent strap and, a, and one screw to like, I'm, you know, to a package of uh, a wardrobe that they're going to make, you know, $250 off of is just going to cut into their stock prop stockholders profits. Right. Is that, you know, what's that, happening? That's or? largely it. And, you know, they, they have incentive not to make those changes. And I mean, I get it. And we've said to them, look, we understand you've got automation. You've got to change where the robot puts the safety sticker. You've got to change how you design and develop furniture. We get it. So let's make all the changes. Let's include the carpet. Let's talk about dynamic testing. Let's figure out how children interact with furniture and mimic that when we test. Um, let's account for the actual weight of a five-year-old. Sure. Because most deaths to children um, from furniture tip-overs happen to those five and under. Mm. Um, they can happen and have happened to older children, but most are to five and under. Um, so we're like, if we test to the weight of a five-year-old, and I can't tell you, how many times we've spent hours arguing over how much a five-year-old weighs. Oh my God. Yeah. 
and then, oh, look, the time. We'll see you in six months. Right. So um, it's really frustrating. So what we did was we talked to um, our congressional representatives and we said, we want a bill. So we created the Sturdy Act. Stop tip overs of unstable, risky furniture on youth is what it stands for. It passed the House um, with bipartisan support. It is now in the Senate and has bipartisan support. And Mitch McConnell doesn't want to hear about it. So um, representatives from Pat have met with um, Senator McConnell and, well, his office, not him personally. And um, we're trying to get him to at least let the bill be heard on the Senate floor and voted on. Um, But if that doesn't happen, then we have to start all over in the next session of Congress. But the Sturdy Act basically would direct the Consumer Product Safety Commission to write the law that they could write now (laughs) and that ASTM could take care of with the voluntary standard process, but they won't. So we basically went around them and we've testified in front of Congress, we've testified with the CPSC and I'm very involved with the CPSC they have a great website, um, and you can put this in the show notes as well. It's called anchor.gov. Yep. Yep. This uh, is the Com- Consumer Product Safety Commission, correct? Yes. CPSC? Yeah, so they created that in 2015, and I was part of that process. Um, I'm one of the Anchor It moms, so they did some PSAs um, with myself and two other moms. That and didn't, didn't one of them appear in the Super Bowl commercial? Um, that was the Make Safe Happen campaign. Oh, Make Safe Happen, okay. Yeah, that was, I was the spokesperson for Make Safe Happen. That was the one where, um, everybody was upset because, um, there was an ad about a child dying in, during in the, the middle of their joyous occasion of yeah. the Super Bowl. Yes, oh, I thought it was boy. brilliant. I was part of the focus group for that ad. Um, and I thought it was incredibly powerful, but people completely missed the point. Right. So, and, you know, what a what a good opportunity to educate a number of people, <laughs> right? Is right. in in a big event like that. Yeah. Um. So that's a shame that yeah, you know did. people did not that that missed missed the point. Yeah. So you're gonna think, say something about the Reagan administration. Oh, um, yes. Um, but before that, I just want to say so the take home message from my story is that furniture is not inherently safe. You cannot tell by looking at it if it's safe or not. You cannot tell by how much you paid for it, (laughs) whether it's safe or not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's a wonderful speaker. Sorry, phone never rings. Want to do that, Olga? (laughs) Sure. Sure, the take home message, so. So the take home message from all of this is you cannot tell by looking at a piece of furniture, whether it's safe or not. It doesn't matter where you bought it. It doesn't matter how much you paid for it. It doesn't matter whether you got it as a hand-me-down and it never fell on anybody before. (laughs) It doesn't matter if it's tall, if it's short, if it's wide, if it's skinny. Um, You just, you can't tell you have to assume that it's unsafe because a child can interact with that piece of furniture a thousand times and 999 times, nothing's going to happen. 
but one time the physics is going to be just right and it's going to tip and if it tips it could injure or kill them and it could happen while you are in the same room and you can be powerless to stop it you are not faster than gravity hmm. you are not the flash hmm. <laughs> um well also if that piece of furniture is very heavy you may not be able to get it off your child right or it may have just hit them in such a way that they're already injured, but it may also be, and also televisions too. Yes. Yeah. A lot of times yeah. um, televisions on top of furniture in children's rooms or in play areas, um, the dresser starts to tip, but the television falls off. Um, and the way I, I, you know, parents say to me now, well, I don't need to secure my TVs because they're flat screens and they're light. And I'm like, well, even if it only weighs 20 pounds, that's two bowling balls. So would you drop a bowling ball on your child's head from three feet high? Do you think that's not going to break their skull? And then, oh, no, my God. Oof. I'm like, then secure your TV because yeah. it's like dropping a couple bowling balls on your kid's mm. head. And it's harsh, but it's true. You know, and there's no guarantee that a dresser is going to be safe even if you see a child climb it and nothing happens. So, and kids don't even have to open the drawers. Kids have tip dressers over just crawling up the knobs, like a mm. rock wall, um, going up the side, jumping on it from a bed, um, just reaching for something tippy toe, you know, trying to get up. So you just don't know. And you don't know if that interaction is going to be the first one, the 50th one, the 2000th, like you don't know. So why take that chance? So the only way you can prevent it right now, because there's no mandatory furniture safety standard, is you have to anchor your furniture to the wall. Do you have any um, uh, product or companies that make good quality anchors, or do you have a way that people can do more research on it or uh, something mm -hmm. they should look for when buying an anchor? As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you go to megansope.org, um, there's a resource tab, and I actually wrote a whole list of anchors that are available, aftermarket anchors that you can buy. Um, they're not available in all stores, but you can certainly buy them online. Amazon has them all. Um, I recommend in particular one called the Hangman. It claims to hold 400 pounds. Um, it's a steel cable um, and it's all metal parts. So professional child proofers will tell you, try to avoid anchors that have any plastic parts because the plastic can become brittle and break mm. over time. Um, also um, cable ties, plastic cable ties are the only one I absolutely do not recommend because I personally had a set of those fail. Wow. And like only a couple months after I had put them on the dresser. So that was what was available after Megan died. So we thought, oh, okay, this says it's for furniture safety. I will use these. And then um, Channel 4 actually came to interview me and they wanted to see what it looked like. So it was on my older son's dresser and I brought the cameraman in there and one of them was snapped and I damn near had a heart attack on wow. poor Joe short sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which, for those, which, for, which for those who don't know, that's literally his last name. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yes. And he's lovely. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he was a lovely man. Um, but yeah, so those, um, the cable ties can, especially if they're exposed to the sun, they can break really easily. So I don't know if it broke because it just got brittle over time. If they weren't safe, if they sat in the package for years and there's a life expectancy to them, or if my son had been pulling on the dresser and it snapped oh, wow. and we didn't know, right? Um, the next best kind of strap from childproofers perspective is something with nylon webbing. So like uh, Safety First makes one, Kidco mm -hmm. makes one. Um, there's one on my website called Safety Innovations that was developed by a childproofer. And that can be used for televisions or te um, furniture. Is Quake Hold still around? Is what? Quake Hold? Quake Hold, they are. Um, they're mostly in California in earthquake prone areas. Yeah. But you can order them on Amazon and from their um, website. I just remember they had good TV yeah. straps. Um, most flat screen TVs now um, have little notches in the back. So now they make um, the straps for flat screen TVs actually attach to a special place on the back oh. of the TV. Um, and then if you have wood studs, um, the part that goes into the wall really needs to go into a stud. If you're only attaching to drywall, you need the um, special kind of drywall anchors that butterfly once you put it right. through. Um, but try to get it into wood if you can. And if you have cement or concrete walls, there are special drill um, bits and anchors that you can use for those as well. You just have to ask at the hardware store um, what to use. But and that's really the only way to prevent Child proofing it. companies, mm -hmm. we talked about before we started, but there used to be at least two or three in Massachusetts and you were saying there's still one. Is that something that there are in other states that you know of, like a company yes. that will come out and do that? Is that pretty pervasive that there's at least one in every state? I don't know that there's one in every state. There's an organization called the International Association for Child Safety, and they certify professional child proofers. Um, so you can go on their website, put in your state, and it will list um, professional child proofers in your area. Um, it'll also list organizations that promote child safety and child proofing. So Megan's Hope is part of their, um, their list um, as well. And actually I presented at their annual conference last year and it was really interesting to hear their stories and their perspective. A professional child proofer will do one of or both things. They'll come to your home and they'll do an assessment. So they'll look at your entire home or whatever rooms you want them to look at and they'll go through it and get, then they'll give you a recommendations for what you need to do to childproof. Um, and it can even be so far as to your bookcase doesn't have tempered glass and mm. that could break more easily. So mm. you should consider, you know, what you want to do about that. I so mean, not just things that could tip, but even things like that could break. You should put a gate here. You need to, you know, think about this cord. You need to think about like, you know, here's what I recommend for the fireplace, like all kinds of um, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, um, things this, parents don't necessarily. It sounds like a home inspection to some, I mean, it is, a home, but you know It's like mean? a like, child home inspection. <laughs> but wouldn't it be wonderful if that was part of the, every time you have a new renter or someone purchases a home, as soon as they're in their home, they need to have this professional child proofer who's part 
who works for the town or the region or whatever, yes. that this would be something that would be standard. So everybody would have to be told this, 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 you have to fix it. Yeah, right? that would be lovely. There just probably aren't enough of them to go around. Um, well, if there was an organization that made it like a job, that, yeah. that's creating jobs. I just it's created funny. jobs. Look at that. Look at you, you job creator. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes they'll do an assessment, but other companies might actually come and do the the actual proofing for you? They'll do both. So they'll right. come in and do the assessment and they'll do the child proofing or they'll do the assessment. They'll give you a recommendation of what to use and you can install. Um, or, you know, they'll give you the list and you'll say, well, I want this, this, and this, but not the rest. Um, so, you know, you can pick and choose, but if you really want, if you feel like you're not sure what to do, or I might be missing something, or I don't have time, and um, you don't mind paying somebody else to do it, then they know how to do it right. They use products that they know have been tested. Um, one of the big problems right now, especially on Amazon, is counterfeit products. Mm. So, you know, uh, Safety First makes a furniture strap. There are probably 30 other companies that make a furniture strap that looks just like it and sells it for less even wow. copied the picture, oh my gosh. but they use inferior products. And I can't tell you how many um, reports that we, Parents Against Tip Overs, have gotten from other parents that I, hey, I bought this anchor and it didn't work. It pulled out of the wall, it pulled out of the dresser. Um, I don't know if you saw um, recently, there was a nanny cam video from California, a uh, meteorologist, Alyssa Carlson, um, she's been very public with her story. Nanny Cam caught her three-year-old daughter climbing um, on her very expensive, um, very wide um, dresser and it tipped over and it just caught her foot underneath it. Oh but it caught the whole thing on camera and she was incredibly lucky. Um, and she didn't know that she thought, look, I paid like thousand dollars for this thing it was really expensive it was really heavy it was a piece of you know nursery furniture i didn't know furniture could tip never heard of that before um so she's sharing the video she's sharing her story she's working with the cpsc as well um but these nanny cams are now picking up these tip overs we've never had video mm, right um, and now we're seeing exactly what kids are doing there was just another one that happened a couple weeks ago um, that I, I post these on Megan's Hope Facebook page. So you can go back and scroll through and see oh, them. That would be good to follow. It on was um, twins and nanny cam again. They were in their bedroom and there was a, it was a bookshelf, but it had two drawers in the bottom. It was an Ikea piece as well. And it showed one of them got out of bed, got into the drawer, got out of the drawer. The other one got out of bed, got into the drawer, got out of the drawer. They opened it, they closed it. They both got in, it tipped over on both of them. And by the grace of God, they ended up between the shelves, so they didn't get hurt. They were in the all space right. between the shelves when it, wow. but it fell all the way down. You heard them screaming, and like that terrified scream, you saw their parents come running in, throw the thing off, pick them up. Oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? And they weren't hurt, thank God. But it pulled out of the wall with one anchor attached to the bookcase and one still attached to the wall. Huh. For the anchors that came with the furniture. So they thought they were doing the right thing. They're like, look, it came with anchors. I'm going to anchor it to the wall. And then it didn't work. So 
The other piece that people don't realize is even though furniture now, some furniture now comes with anchors, those anchors are not tested. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's like, it's like a Pandora's box here, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> You're killing me here. <laughs> but there's something else. It's not even tested. <laughs> no, it's not. And I've been screaming about that for years. But oh, I, I bet you have. <laughs> I'm on that ASTM committee we just met last week, and I'm like, we need a dynamic test. And we need to test all those anchors that are sold on Amazon so we know what works, what doesn't, at what point does it fail, you know, how much weight does it take, how much force does it take. Um, I'm not an engineer, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. Yeah, but isn't, isn't your husband an engineer? He is, yeah. <laughs> I asked him a lot of questions. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I remember like Ikea furniture, the last piece I bought, I have to admit at some point I bought one in the last few years, but it comes with some sort, and even years ago, it came with some sort of attachment, but it would only work in like a European home. It wouldn't work in New England because I'll just mm -hmm. say New England, because in New England, we have baseboards. Right pretty standard right, in every right, home right. and so you can't attach that furniture with the ones they got because they were very very thin and they had to attach flush to the wall yeah. and the furniture couldn't sit flush to the wall in any of our houses yeah so yeah so even like that might have been useful those pieces and ikea might have claimed we 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 we, we send home you know yeah. these anchors but they don't work in american houses right yeah. yeah yeah it's true and the other thing is you know they send really shallow screws Yes. So when you think about it has to hold all this weight and, you know, this much of the screw is actually mm -hmm. in the wood because <laughs> it's not long enough. Um, that's part of the reason they fail. So, you know, that said, my recommendation is don't use the anchors that come with the furniture. Go buy an aftermarket anchor and use that and realize you might need to use two packages of them if you have a particularly heavy piece. Hmm. You know, assume that two straps are going to hold at the most 200 pounds, if that. And 200 pounds has to account for the weight of the furniture, plus what's in it or on it, plus the force of a 50 or 60 pound child pulling on it. Right. So, right that's going to be more than their actual weight. So when you're thinking, how much do I have to protect against, it's all of that added up um, together. Another thing that I learned for a long time, it seemed like people were resistant to attach them because of aesthetic reasons, yes. because you want to put it behind, like your instinct is I want it behind the piece of furniture so we can't see mm -hmm. it, but you can't tighten it and get it snug enough to be safe. I mean, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't have to be super safe because you want to just prevent it from tipping up over all the way, but still just to get your hands and arms in there yeah. to do what it needs to do and to attach in the right spot and to make sure the piece of furniture is lined yeah. up so that the hook can line up or whatever thing you're using yeah. is hard. And so often the easiest way and the safest way to attach it is having it be above the piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. And it, it was fascinating for me to do this with my own kids stuff, but I'm like, Oh, duh, I'll just put like a lamp or a stuffed animal or a plant in front of that. And then we don't see it, you know? Exactly. So I think we, we don't think that one step further of like, Oh, it's okay if I see it. Cause I can just put something on that surface, right. you know? Right. And you know, a lot of times like the hangman strap I, I talked about, it's, um, it's about five or six inches long, but it's, it's just that, you know, the furniture might move a little bit. It might, tip an inch or two, but it's not going to fall. 
And maybe the top drawer will slide out a little bit, but that's not going to kill somebody. Um, and you can still put drawer latches on um, as mm -hmm. another right, right, way, right. but those can often be overcome. And, and not the latches that go inside the drawer, the ones that go on the side and the front. Okay. Um, those are a lot um, harder for children to, to overcome than the kind that you have to push down to open the drawer, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but that's another layer, but that shouldn't be the only layer. So I think you have to anchor it to the wall plus good idea to do the drawer um, latches as well. Um, what are the statistics on this at the moment of how many kids are affected? So the CPSC publishes a report every year. Um, we know that these numbers are largely underestimated because they get their data from only 100 emergency rooms in the what? United States. And why would that? Why? 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 Let me tell you. I've <laughs> every every birth in the entire United States is required. Now that's a whole other. That's a whole other <laughs> fascinating thing. Is what gets put on the birth certificate that per state is not standardized too. Mm -hmm. So I know there's like, but it's like legislation has to happen in order for these things that are common sense to make happen. I know. It's ridiculous. Crazy. Like a hundred hospitals is all the reporting on. Wow. Right. It's called the. Um, it's nice something injury surveillance program. I can't remember exactly what the acronym stands for off the top of my head, but um, they're basically, they've contracted with these 100 emergency rooms that are meant to be representative. So some are large trauma centers, some are little community hospitals, um, and they all report their injury data to the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And then they do some number crunching and extrapolate and you know estimate what the actual numbers are. And then they also get reports from parents like me, you know, like when I wrote to them and said this happened um, to my child, and they take that information and add it to their database. If a death certificate says what the cause of death was related to, so um, Megan's actually said um, positional asphyxiation due to a fallen bureau. So that would have gotten captured. Um, if it just says blunt force trauma or asphyxiation, it doesn't get counted as a product hazard. Hmm. Um, so that's part of the problem. And I've done a lot of presentations lately to pediatricians, to the Department of Public Health, to um, Department of Children and Family Services. And these are people who are in a great position not only to educate about child safety, but to report when there's been an injury. Even if it's just, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I was using this, um, you know, whatever, pack and play and the side collapsed. But, you know, well, that's a product hazard hmm. that could in, in someday cause an injury or a death. Um, and that's how we end up with recalls. But if people don't know to report them or how to report them or who to report them to, they don't get captured. So all we have to go on are these hundred hospitals. So the current statistics for tip over are that about every 24 minutes, a piece of furniture falls on somebody in the United States. Most of the time that's a child. Um, about every 42 minutes, uh, a child is seen in an emergency room for an injury related to a furniture tip over. And about every 12 days, a child dies. Um, there's been hundreds, they've been keeping these statistics now um, since 2000. Uh, there's been hundreds of thousands of reported injuries. There have been um, 
459 documented deaths. There have probably been way more injuries that never got reported or captured. Um, there's probably even been deaths that weren't captured. Um, and very, I, I'm very rare in the sense that I talk about it and I advocate to the level that I do. Um, so myself and my other PAT parents, we say that when we speak and when we share this information, please realize that we're speaking for literally thousands of other parents who either aren't able to, don't know how, or afraid to. Um, you know, a lot of parents, when this happens, when tip overs happen or a child's death to a product hazard happens, they get investigated. The police investigate. Right, right. The Department of Children and Family Services often comes in. Sometimes other children are taken out of the home until the parents cleared. You know, can you imagine grieving oh, a child Lord. and then having someone come in and take your other children away with no evidence that you did anything wrong? They just don't understand that furniture falls on kids. You know. Um, so well, I'm sure there's also. I would be curious. I don't know if this is tracked, but I would imagine there's also a racial um there is yeah divide there that that happens way more often with people of color which is also not it acceptable but it, you know horrible. to be fair it's happened to a lot of my white affluent friends. sure sure yeah but um yeah i think mm. there is a bias unfortunately wow all right well, thank so you for there... doing the work that you yeah. do <laughs> because <laughs> It's, you know, uh, it's a way I, I'm sure to keep Megan's memory alive, but it's certainly not an easy, an easy thing to do. And also considering that there is so much red tape and, you know, bureaucracy and politics and, you know, people that have motivations other than saving children's lives and keeping children safe. And, you know, for people like us on this call and those listening who work in this field and have children or love children or, you know, that's particularly hard to hear. So um, thank you for doing the work that you do. And I hope that everybody takes this very seriously and visits Megan's Hope um, mm -hmm. and also things like anchorit.gov, which we've mm -hmm. talked about, and childproofingexperts.com or even the cpsc.gov. Um, and you know, it's important that we all take the time and the money to do this mm -hmm. because nothing can replace the life of your child. No, absolutely not. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention, um, and Jeanette, this is what you reminded me about. So um, recalls. Hmm. Recalls are um, complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't understand this until I got, you know, involved in it up to my eyeballs, quite honestly. And I was shocked when I learned what I'm about to tell you. Hmm. Um, so the Consumer Product Safety Commission was created to protect consumers. And back in the Reagan administration, they felt like they had too much power. They wanted to abolish the agency entirely. They didn't think it was necessary. So um, instead of doing that, they basically put a gag order on them. So when they get reports of product hazards or injuries or deaths due to a product, they all get together and they talk about it. And when even one death happens, they should, and most for the most part, 
want to, although it is a very partisan organization, so there's that as well. But for the most part, when it's been identified that yes, there's this injury hazard, um, and we need to notify the public, they can do one of two things. They can issue a safety alert, which who knows where that goes because nobody sees it. The media doesn't care. Parents don't know where to look. Like nobody knows. Or they can issue a recall, but they have to contact the manufacturer. So in the case of IKEA, we had all these reports. I believe there were three to begin with reports of um, deaths from the IKEA mom dresser. And they reached out to IKEA and said, you have a problem. You should recall this. We would like to issue a joint recall. IKEA said no. At that point, the CPSC's hands are tied. Wow. They either have to wait and negotiate with the manufacturer to come up with what they want to do and say publicly about this hazard, or they have to sue them. Hmm. And they don't have a big budget. And IKEA has a very large budget. Hmm. <laughs> um, and it, they did. They sued them. It took years. And um, IKEA finally agreed to a repair program, not a recall. And that was where the um, secure campaign came from and that they're selling anchors and, oh, we're doing the right thing. And then four more children <laughs> died from the same dresser and they went through the same rigmarole again and finally um, did the recall. But it's, it's a clause in the Consumer Product Safety Act called Section 6B. And basically all it does is, <laughs> hugely all it does, is require that in order to issue a recall, the manufacturer has the opportunity to um, do their own investigation and decide what is said and what isn't said about the product hazard. So the big one that's been in the news um, most recently is the Fisher-Price Rock and Play. So the CPSC knew of, I think it was six, maybe 12. They first said six, and then there were 12 reports of deaths that they have gotten from infants in the rock and play. You can request injury reports from the CPSC, they're public knowledge, but they redact all of the information. So consumer reports requested the information, they got it, but somebody forgot to redact the information and they found another 30 some odd deaths Whoa. from the rock and play. It's now up to 70 something. Oh, wow. And um, I've worked with the reporter who broke the story and she does a lot of tip over reporting as well. Um, and then I met a mom at a conference um, back in February who thought that her child died from SIDS. And she heard the story on the news about the Fisher-Price Rock and Play recall, which by the way, they only recalled after consumer reports went public with the knowledge and the American Academy of Pediatrics demanded that they recall after hiding that information. But didn't they recall it because if it got wet, then it could develop mold or something? Like that was the story? That was part of it, but it wasn't all of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they then they recalled it. And then this mom said, oh my God, she died in that rock and play. And I thought it was SIDS. And it was, you know, then she's like, uh, <laughs> like, and then she's like, how come I didn't know? So she went from being a grieving mom because of SIDS and not understanding why her child died to Fisher Price killed my kid <laughs> because they knew about it. Yeah. 
and they continued to just sell them and resist the recall and you know all of that so that's what 6b does the other problem with recalls is unless it's huge like that the media doesn't report it so parents don't know so you um another cpsc website called saferproducts.gov you can go to and you can look up a product to see if it's ever been recalled oh that's good so you can search by name you know whatever it's stroller high chair whatever you are providing the most resources of anybody we have interviewed so far yes I'm I'm i challenge any future guest, <laughs> i challenge any future guests to come up with a list this long of great resources most of we them should. are on the megan'shope.org website yeah. but um yeah they um saferproducts.gov is where you can go to report a product hazard to get information about product hazards to find out if there's ever been a recall and you can subscribe to a recall list mm. and you can get emails every time a juvenile product is recalled every time uh you know uh atv is recalled like there are recalls every day <laughs> the word juvenile reminds me that many many products that we buy for babies and children will have some sort of like juvenile award and there's all sorts of different parents awards, choice you know, right uh... <laughs> and what people don't know is that that has nothing to do with safety. Oh no, not at all. At all. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not even popularity all the time. Like oftentimes it's a how much money did that company pay somebody to get that award? Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. No, that's that's a really good point. Um, those little stickers mean nothing. Um, for sure. So yeah, the yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the DACA tot to be recalled. The yeah, the DACA, the DACA tot. tot. Yeah. It's like 130 or 110 dollars. It's basically a. It cushion. might be even more than that. I think it's mm -hmm. over 200. Wow. It looks like There's a pillow. Versions. That's. Yeah. It looks like someone took a pillow and smushed the inside. Oh. Um. And so it's it's just like a it's a, essentially a, a fluffy pillow that you put it's like a, a child in. It's, it's like a dog bed, but <laughs> very is. very expensive and for a baby, and because it's made for a baby, like of course, if you're in the room and you're watching your child meticulously, mm -hmm. they might be fine in that. But right. still, there's there's people who are putting who are putting it in the bed with them, which oh. is not okay. You know, like it just. Ugh. Yeah. And then if I mention something about that, then I'm perceived as not being nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying to save your kid's life. Well, and you know, and that's a great way to bring it back around um, because a lot of parents resist things that go against what they believe. Parents still vehemently defend the rock and play. I'm never giving that up. My child never would have slept if I wasn't in it. And yeah. I, we're like, why would you risk your child's life? Like you don't know if your child's going to be the one that wriggles around and gets their airway locked. I mean, all they have to do is drop their head and, mm -hmm. you know, they can obstruct their airway that way. So I always say to people, don't think it can't happen to you. Yep. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be cancer. It could be COVID. It could be suffocation. It could be a car accident, or it could be that your child died at the hands of a product that was defective or because you didn't think you needed to do that piece of childproofing because the risk wasn't great enough or your child doesn't climb or I'm always with them. I'm sorry. You probably pee by yourself. Eventually you sleep, mm -hmm. you know, you're not always with them. 
And when you think they're sleeping, they're not always sleeping. Yeah, that you is know? true. Almost every child that's died from a furniture tip over was either down for nap time, playing in their room by themselves, or their parent was literally right there. Hmm. And just, you know, even if they were watching them, there was a tip over cut on video, actually a mom videotaping her son putting his clothes in the drawer. And it started oh, wow. to happen and she threw the phone and stopped it. But she was literally sitting like from me to my laptop, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. doing it. So, um, you know, it, you just can't think it's not going to happen to you. And also, and we say it time and time again, once you know better, you, you just, you should do better, right? So even if you use the rock and play with your first child, yeah. I had a child who didn't sleep. I was desperate for sleep. There were times where I would have sold my own soul to get him to sleep, right? right. Um, and so no shame, right? This isn't, this isn't a judgment or a shame. You shouldn't feel guilty no, that you did that. Thank God, just be grateful. Thank God that nothing bad happened. But now that you know better, let's do better, right? Thank God my child wasn't one of those ones. I did what I had to do before I knew better. Now I know better and I can do better. And once you know, you can't unknow. So if you've listened to this podcast, now that you know, you can't unknow that right. these, are, these are things that are a problem, that there isn't a government agency that has the power to make sure these products are safe before they're placed on the market, mm -hmm. that there are actual products out there that take a little bit of extra time and a little bit of extra money to get, but that can help save a life. Mm -hmm. And um, now that you know, you can't unknow. So please take you know, these resources, and especially if you're pregnant or have a young child before they're even moving, please, please, please anchor it. Please childproof, please make it safe because before you know it, they are, they are on the move. Yeah. And thank you, Kim, for sharing your story. And I know you've always been very vocal about it and willing to share and willing to talk about it. And I think that's so helpful because many parents who have something so horrible happen feel like they can't speak up because they're too sad or they feel afraid of being judged. I'm, I'm guessing here, I haven't spoken to all of oh, them, absolutely. of course, but, but then, then it, it's great that you are one of the ones who can, because now anybody who listens to this or watches this can say, Oh, I actually saw somebody talking about when her own child died from this. It is real. Like it brings it home that this is real. You know, I went to Megan's funeral and mm -hmm. you know, like, that really hits home, but not everybody has a situation where they know one of the kids who passed away. And it's at least you're getting out there. And it's sad that the media doesn't cover even just the positive side of let's have a story about why positive, like doing child proofing is a great thing. We don't have to always interview somebody who has a sad story, but like be positive about how can you be proactive? Like I miss, you know, I don't watch the Today Show too much anymore, which is really funny. I have a friend who works for the Today Show, um, but but they have like those positive stories. So yeah. I'll have to ask her whether they've had anything on child proofing lately. But yeah. you probably would have heard about it if they did. So <laughs> thank you so much. Story with Megan in it, but it was years ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Kim. And we hope everybody will see babiesincommoncom show or slash podcast to check out all the other episodes that we have as well and share this with friends and family members, especially grandparents, because they need to hear this stuff as well. 
Absolutely. And I know that you learned a lot of mm-hmm. helpful information today. Mm-hmm. So please don't be stingy. Please text a friend who's either expecting or parenting and tell them about this episode and our show. And if you want to laugh your stretch pants off while learning about childbirth, babies, and breastfeeding, please consider taking a live and interactive Zoom class with us or tell your friends about Babies in Common. Virtual feeding consultations and a weekly feeding group called Breast Milk and Conversation is also available. And hey, if you go, you can tell all the other parents at that breast milk and conversation group, how you've childproofed yes. after listening to Kim's interview. So I will bring um, that up at our next, at our next, that, that would be point. great. Um, and if you follow us on social media, we're always posting great articles, videos, and resources to help you rock your birth and thrive as a new parent. Please also consider following Megan's hope on Facebook so that you can get um, some great information about other ways to keep your children safe. Yeah. Look at the website on Megan's hope org for the resources. So our next episode will come out after July 8th. We are going to be talking with uh, Professor Amy Brown about breastfeeding. She's a prolific writer, researcher, and an international speaker who is from Wales. And I think it's, is Wales part of the UK? I always forget. I think it yes. is, right? Um, so yeah, so we hope you'll check out that show. And we are a community for you. After all, we all have babies, babies in common. In common. <laughs> so thank you so Thank much. you, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Babies in Common podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate a positive review on whichever podcast player platform you use, as that helps more people find our podcast. We wish you a fantastic day that includes learning at least one new thing, finding something to giggle about, and getting at least one hug, even if it's from yourself. If you have any comments or questions, of course, feel free to email info at babiesincommon.com. We'd love to hear from you.